now I get to do that. I get to, I get to read God's word and tell the story. Um, we are in the third week of a series on 2 Peter, and the first chapter of 2 Peter has a list of, of six qualities to add to our faith. And it says in verse 9, if these, qualities, or if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our series here, looking at these, these qualities. We're in the third part now. Verse, so I'm going to uh, read verse 5, but before I read that verse, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us that gives us instruction for our lives and also where to find true and living hope, to find forgiveness of our sins, to find new life in you, and also how to live as your disciples in this world. And may your word uh, be clear to us and may we grow in knowledge, in fruitful knowledge that gives blessing and thriving to our lives as we follow you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So verse five says, for this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So last week we covered fruitful virtue. Today we are covering fruitful knowledge. And there is knowledge that is fruitful for your life. And there's also knowledge that is not fruitful. There's knowledge out there that, that shrivels your soul. There's, there's things that you kind of wish, maybe wish you didn't know. <laughs> I think of knowledge that maybe is destructive. Things we've seen are, you know, for comes to my example is, you know, flipping uh, the, t the, the television channels one day and, and I, you know, and there, cause there's a horror movie on and for whatever reason I stayed on that and I watched it. And I really regret that. Not because of the terror or the scary, but because it was the depravity of the evil shown there was so vile. I can't unsee it. Now, fortunately, with passage of time and dwelling on God's goodness, you know, there's those things, those memories kind of fade. But that, that was not good for me to know. And I'm sure all of you can think of something in your life where you're like, I, I can't unsee that. That was, so there's just things destructive to know. There's also things that are undermining. They're, they cause you to doubt. Idea, these are ideas that cause you to, to doubt God's goodness or to doubt the truth. And so there, so there are things that shrivel your soul and your mind, and there's, but there is also knowledge that is fruitful for your life. And that's what we want to look at today. There's knowledge that cleanses your mind and your spirit, that renews your life, that keeps your life fruitful. And that knowledge is what God has said and what God has done. And that and this is where that is found. We grow in the knowledge of God's word. We grow in the knowledge of what God has said, what God has done. And uh, these, the, Peter shows this in his letter here, verse 16. And he says this, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
So in Scripture, we have knowledge of God and his ways. He has revealed himself to his chosen prophets and to the apostles who were eyewitnesses to the coming and power of Jesus Christ. So God's word, as we heard, it is, it is a light in your life. It's a light on your heart. And so as you grow in the knowledge of God's word, it will guard you. It will keep your life fruitful. And I want to look at three ways uh, growing in the knowledge of God is fruitful. And so the first is that knowledge of God's word strengthens your knowledge of your salvation. Knowledge of God's word, it strengthens your knowledge and your faith of, in your salvation. So you can have confident assurance and a growing confidence that God has saved you and be confident about what he has saved you for. God has given you his word so that you may know and believe the salvation that he has worked for you in Jesus. And throughout your life, then, he continues to strengthen your faith by his word. And the, gospel, the epistle of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So those who believe in Jesus Christ can know that you have eternal life. So this is, this is not wishful thinking. This is not, oh, I hope so. It's a, it's a nice thought. No, this is, I know so. You can be confident of that as, as, as anything in the whole world. So, And think about that. In the middle of life's hardships, in the middle of life's tragedies, you can know you have eternal life. And that, that is a comfort and a steadiness to your life. And then the letter of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12, says this. The Apostle Paul writing, and he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul, he says, I, he is not ashamed of his faith. He was not ashamed of his faith as if it was based on uncertain or frivolous things. He believed in that Jesus was the Christ. He knew he was the Christ. The Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And you can too can have the confidence of Paul. You can know that in Jesus Christ you have eternal life and that he can guard your soul until he comes again. And so as you grow in the knowledge of his word, I mean, I just read from, you know, we read it from Second Peter, but I also read from two other letters there. Scripture is filled with God's promises and reassurances to you of how he has saved you, how you can know that you have him and that he has forgiven you. And as you grow in the knowledge of his word, your faith in Jesus strengthens. And you know his death on the cross forgives your sins. His love heals your soul and restores you and heals your brokenness. And the more you know him, the more you know his love for you. Secondly, as you grow in the knowledge of God's word, you know his will for you. So knowing, knowing and following God's will is essential to being a disciple of Christ. 
If we look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, we look at those familiar verses, the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But then very important here, he adds, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this, this was Jesus' pattern to his, disciple, to his apostles. Go and make disciples so that they are saved in Christ, but then that they would also be taught to observe, to obey and follow everything that Jesus had instructed to his apostles. So the commandments of Jesus, they are his good and gracious will for all people, for, for your life. And they keep you fruitful and effective in him. And he says elsewhere, his, his words are spirit and they are truth. And so the more you know his word, the more, the more you know how to conduct yourself. Not just what to do, but how to do it in a godly way. So, and I think of this kind of, you could compare it to like knowing how to cultivate a plant in your garden. The more you know about how to care for that particular plant, the more you can help it to grow right. You can help it, you can give it everything it needs to blossom and to, to bear fruit. But if you don't know anything and you don't even pay attention to it and try to figure out what hurts and or what helps, then you're very likely that that plant will wither it will be starved or choked, it will be stunted in its growth, and it probably won't bear much fruit. So your, your knowledge of how to cultivate that plant encourages its fruitfulness. Now to be clear though, you're, you can know all about that plant, but you can't, you can't make it alive if it's dead, right? Your knowledge can't make a dead thing alive. Your knowledge cannot make a stone into a living seed. Only God gives life. But proper instruction can cultivate the life that God has given so that it thrives. And so God has made you in alive in Christ Jesus, spiritually alive. And he gives you his instruction to cultivate that life so you will be fruitful and growing in the life that he has given you. Colossians 1 verses 9 through 10 says this, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And I probably could have just read that verse as an application of Peter and we, God, we're done, okay. <laughs> it says it all right there. Um, and I, I think in a little sidebar here, um, this, this was Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. And, but what a wonderful prayer. You can pray for each other. You can pray for fellow congregation members. You can pray for friends and family. You can pray for people who are, who are drifting, strained from the Lord. You're praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding that, they were, that the way they live their life, they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They'd be pleasing to him, that they would bear fruit in every good work they do, and that they would always be increasing in the knowledge of God. That, that's, what a wonderful prayer to pray for anyone. 
Um, but to our growth and knowledge, fruitful knowledge here, God's word. If you know God's word, and you know his, the, the better you know his word, the better you know his will. And then you will know how to conduct yourself with grace and truth, with humility and courage, and on and on in, in all the virtues of God in every way becoming worthy of him and pleasing to him and fruitful. Thirdly, knowing the truth will protect you from falsehood. And that, that is really the great concern of Peter's second letter here. Uh, he says this in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then he has another warning in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. He says this, and he's, Peter is talking about another book of Scripture here. That's his context. And he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. I think we can all relate to that, right? Sometimes we read something in Scripture that's hard to understand. And Peter's talking about other books of the Bible here. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in, Paul, in Peter's letter here, he, he talks about two threats to your faith. And the first one is false teachers bringing in teaching from outside of the Bible, outside of Christianity, from somewhere else, bringing that in. And if we keep using the, the illustration of, of a fruitful plant that we're cultivating here, then false outside teaching, that is like a creeping vine that creeps up around another plant and strangles it. It's a parasite. And false teachings from other things that are not from God that are brought in, they are like a parasite on your faith. They will choke your spiritual life. It's still there. <laughs> your spiritual faith, your spiritual life can still be there, but it is being choked by this strange teaching. And the second threat is a false interpretation of Scripture. And Peter, in, at the end of chapter 1, he talks about the correct interpretation of Scripture. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that means when you read a book of the, of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we can't just say, well, that was Isaiah's opinion. Well, that was Moses' opinion. It's like, no, no, this is God's truth, his eternal, unchanging truth that he gave and revealed to us 
through Moses. Moses was the writer, but the Holy Spirit of God gave that teaching, that truth directly to him from God. Which means that, and now it's, this, it's the one spirit inspiring every writer of every book of the Bible. One spirit, one God. Which means that there is one will, one mind behind it all. And that means that there's one interpretation. Because it was given by God, the writer. You know, the, the meaning of the words is, is given by the one who, who gave it. Right? The one who, it's his intent when he gave that word that matters. His interpretation. And that's Peter's point here. There's one meaning here. And then we look back at that, that warning in chapter 3. Some of them will take these. They'll take a hard teaching. And they won't apply the rest of God's word to help understand it. They'll just twist it to whatever they want it to be. And to their own destruction. And, and you've probably heard some ridiculous things there. I'm going to give one that is so ridiculous. It, 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 everyone should be able to get it right away. So the resurrection of Lazarus. When Jesus said, you know, he, Jesus comes. He visits with Mary and Martha. G Lazarus is dead. Been in the dead in the tomb a couple days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he raises Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus comes out. And I've heard someone use that verse, come out, as a justification for their own coming out of the closet. Revealing, you know, their own reveal that they are, that they are, that they are actually a different sexual orientation lifestyle. I, I can't think of a more clear twisting of the clear, plain, simple meaning of Scripture. Jesus is raised from some of the dead, and someone twists that to justify what they want. Who's your God? Is it the God who wrote this and gave this? Then you're going you're gonna to submit yourself to his intended meaning when he gave this. If you will not accept that and twist as something else, then something else is your God. You will always twist this to serve yourself or whatever God you are serving. And we need to be submitted to the one God who gave this. So there, there's the, so the two threats to your faith, false teachers and false interpretations of Scripture. So if you are to grow in God's word, so if, if you are growing in God's word, I mean, you're, you're spending time in it, or you're letting God teach you, then you can stand firm against false teachers and false interpretation. You can withstand temptation, even when you're alone, and it's just you and you don't have people to strengthen you. But God is with you. And because you know God's will, then you can stand up to temptation. And you can re resist false teaching, the seduction of false teaching. Because false teaching is, is usually not as blatant as what the example I gave you. It's usually very subtle and very appealing. And so it's hard to recognize false teaching unless you are in the spirit and you know the word. And false teaching, it appeals to you with a kernel of truth. And it hides a, a very big lie behind that kernel of truth. And the most common form of this we see in our society today is mercy. Mercy for the hurting and, and oppressed is a, is a central scriptural teaching, right? We all know this, right? And because every Christian is a recipient of mercy. We are all, we were all lost in the darkness until God gave us mercy and saved us and brought us to himself. So every one of us, we're a recipient of God's mercy. We did not deserve it. 
that he came and found us and saved us. So we, so we know mercy. We're recipients of mercy. But God's mercy does not allow us to keep on sinning or to stop calling sin, sin. And false teachers try to make Christians who hold to God's word, try to make them feel bad as if when they call something sin, we are not being merciful. How, how dare you be so mean and cruel for calling sin what God has called sin? And the more we know scripture, the better we will be able to walk this line, walk this path in a godly way. Because there can be two wrong ways to, over, to overreact to that. One can be to compromise and just not talk about sin. The other way is to overreact, right? To overreact and pound it and, and slam it. And, and usually that the overreaction, it, it tends to be because we're, we're not actually, because we feel like we've got to defend God or defend his word. God doesn't need our, our defense, quite honestly. I mean, his word doesn't need our defense. We need to cling to it and stick with it and stand by it. But it is quite powerful and capable of, of standing up for itself. And it, because the word changes people's minds, not my feeble attempts. So it, when we know the word and we're confident in it, then we're, we're better able to walk this path. And we see this example of Jesus. Jesus offered mercy without compromising truth or justice. And we think of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He could say this because his death satisfied justice. He died to take away her sin. And his mercy spared her from the condemnation of sin. So his mercy, it saves us from sin. It does not enable or excuse sin. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And uh, the youth who went to fly this week might recall this here. We, we had a speaker who was talking about uh, he, he shared a comment from one of his youth many years ago that, that God must be so gullible. He must be so gullible to forgive sinners, for, to, free, to freely forgive them. Because in, in his, he, so this kid was understanding the, free, the freeness of God's gift of forgiveness. No cost, because Jesus paid it all. But his, you know, so he understood how free it was. He just thought, man, my God just must be a sucker. Must be so gullible. And, and there is, there are people, they're not different than other people, but we observe this. Sometimes people, they, so God saves their life. You could save their life. And they would think, oh man, this guy was so kind to save my life. I wonder if I can con him out of a million dollars. You know, what, not gratitude for saving your life, but, you know, what else can I get out of him? He's so, he's so gullible, <laughs> so nice. So what a sweet, harmless grandpa. And that is not the God of, of the Bible. He is generous and merciful and kind and saving, but he is also powerful and dangerous and not tame. He, he is sovereign and his will is sovereign and his way is sovereign. He does not surrender an inch of justice because justice is good for all but he also is compassionate and, and merciful. So God is not gullible. He is kind because that's just the love of his heart. 
But he says, his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So like Jesus, when we look at that example of Jesus, we, you can, we can freely offer compassion for other people's hurting and their brokenness. We should. And you could welcome others without approving of what they do. It's possible to do that. The world likes to tell you you can't, but you can. <laughs> um, and you can, you can offer relief and aid for their hurts if that relief and aid is a godly form. And, and when they seek to relieve their hurt with something sinful, you can point them to Jesus. You can point them to the better relief who saves from sin, who cleanses from sin, who heals what is broken, who restores and makes whole. And so for the hurting and broken, there is grace and mercy. But for false teachers who peddle false teaching and promote false teaching, we must stand up to them with the knowledge of the truth. And the type of knowledge we're seeking then here is, is more than just memorizing one verse here, one verse there, cherry-picking verses to pick a position. It's we seek to know the whole counsel of God's word. So this is a comprehensive understanding. And that, that takes study then. That takes study looking at picking a book and saying, okay, who wrote this? When did they write it? Why did they write it? So when they say, when you look at a verse in that book, you know its context, the historical context, the narrative context. And then when you know these things and you come across a hard verse, then you can ask, okay, this is hard to understand. Where else in scripture does this, is this talked about? How can I make sure I'm looking all around scripture to rightly understand this? And if you're doing that, then you will protect yourself from misusing or abusing Scripture, and you'll be able to spot when others are abusing Scripture. And Scripture, then, it is your tool and your weapon against false teaching. And Ephesians 6, it, that famous chapter, talks about spiritual warfare, talks about putting on the armor of God. And verse 17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And remember, Scripture, it is, it is living and active, it accomplishes what God sent it for. It is, it is effective and powerful. It does what it says. God's word convicts and it converts. It heals and restores. It strengthens. It gives life. Because God is in his word. So if you know God's word and his will, it will keep you from being ineffect, ineffective and unfruitful in your life. God's word, it gives you the knowledge of your salvation. It gives you the knowledge of his will so you know how to live your life, cultivate a life that is fruitful. And God's word protects you from false teaching that would choke or poison your faith. This is the knowledge that gives life. Seek it and build your life on it. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And may you just place this desire in our hearts to know you better through your word, to, to grow in the knowledge of your word and the knowledge of you uh, so that we may be fruitful disciples of Christ. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.